Midnight in Karachi with Mahavish Murad on Tour.com. With me today is writer James Smythe, whose earlier novel, The Machine, was shortlisted for the Clark Award. As J.P. Smythe, he's the writer of the Young Adult Australia trilogy, the first of which, Way Down Dark, has also recently been nominated for the Clark Award. He's also the writer of the uh, fabulous A Good Man, It's Hard to Find, The Testimony, The Explorer and The Echo. His latest is the second in the Australia trilogy, Long Dark Dusk. Hello, James. Hi there. So... When we're talking about the YA stuff, do people call you JP or do people call you James? Oh, it's confusing. Some people seem very confused about exactly who I am. And I noticed actually that uh, Locus's like online sci-fi database thing has got me listed as two completely separate authors. And they wrote a thing on this year's Clark Awards news piece saying, Dave Hutchinson is the only writer on this list to have been previously shortlisted for the Clark Award. And I was like, hang on, <laughs> hang on. So, uh, yeah, I think people are quite confused by it, which is, which is interesting. So let's put their minds at ease. You are the same person. I am the same person. I am James. I used the JP because uh, I wanted there to be some distinction between some things I write. I mean, honestly, my plan is at some point I want to use Jay Smythe for a different book entirely. I like there being like, it's so pretentious. Yeah. <laughs> I like there being this little bit of distinction between um, certain aspects of publishing, I think. Right. Um, but honestly, I don't, I don't really, I don't care. If they wanted to publish them all as James, I don't really care. So now the Clark Award nomination for Way Down Dark happened a few weeks ago. As you just said, it's yes. not your first Clark nomination. Uh, but that doesn't make it less special. Does it somehow make it more special? Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, right, when The Machine came out, and it's hard to say this without... So when The Machine came out, I was hopeful. So, not that I thought it would make the shortlist, but I was really like, oh, cross your fingers, James, you never know it might. Um, because I thought, you know, it's a good book and I'm proud of it and people seem to like it and that's really cool. And it had always been, the Clark's been one of those awards that for years and years I've really like, you know, I'd like to win the Clark at some point, that'd be nice. And, um... And the machine, I was, I was completely blindsided, but also I'd sort of been crossing my fingers. Right. This one, I was like, I'd turned down an invitation to go to the announcement party. I was watching TV, <laughs> just like lying on the sofa watching TV. And then suddenly, my, I wasn't even following what books were being announced at the time. Um, I thought, oh, I'll catch up with that in the morning. And like, because I, I judged the kitschies this year. So I thought I've probably read them all. So I was just really like, oh, suddenly people were tweeting me and going, congratulations. And I was like, hang on. This is... So it was actually weirdly... It felt even nicer because I'd completely assumed that it didn't have a chance. So now the second book, Long Dark Dusk, is taking us back yes. to Earth. Um, yes. Back to Chan, the, the, the same female, young female protagonist from the first book. Yep. She's, uh, she's just got back down to earth. And again, these are not spoilers because we're talking about the second book. So we're going to just have to take it for granted that people have read the first one. If you haven't, yeah. I'm sorry, you know, bear with us. Um, but we're back with Chan, who is trying to navigate this world, this planet that she didn't even know existed until recently. Um, where did you want to take her this time? You know, who did you want her to be? Um... That's an interesting question. I had long had this thing about not wanting Chan to be in any way the chosen one. So 
there's no sense and i think you know there's a line in the first book where somebody says to her essentially you're not special and she's like no i know i'm really not and and the second book was about me wanting to reinforce this idea that it doesn't you don't have to be special to be able to well the second and third book you don't have to be special to be able to see that there's something that you can change for the better and in the second book it was I really wanted to sort of explore the notion that people assume you are who you look like or you know that you know that phrase like it is what it it is what it says on the tin or it does what it says on the tin I really wanted to explore the notion that that things can actually be different inside than people assume that they would be so you know you treat somebody as uh, you treat somebody as savage right you can't be surprised when somebody then lashes out and if you you want you we should treat people with that sounds so trite but we should treat people with the same level of respect as we want to be treated ourselves and to some extent that's what book two and three are about really about me wanting to explore how do you move past the concept of judgment how do you move into this idea of what is it that makes somebody who they are well it's the sum of who they've been rather than who you assume they are does that make sense in this respect yes good um so that was what yeah that's what i really wanted book two and book three um book three sort of nudges i won't i won't give anything away about the plot at all or anything about the end of book two but book three nudges into sort of talking about the current thing that's going on with Europe and the sort of dreadful way that we're, we're dealing with, um, with immigration and, and with refugees. And book three sort of starts to touch on that a little bit in a way that I think it was quite... Everything that I was reading in the newspapers was sort of coalescing with what I wanted to do with Chan and her story in this sort of really nicely symbiotic way. So the two worked together really well, I think. Yeah, that's my answer to your question. Yeah. So talking about the third book, where do you want her to be in the third and last book? You're quite relentless about torching your characters, you know, at times. Um, not always physically, but it's, you know, emotional, mental trauma, the existential baggage that they bear and they always get caught up with. Will there be, give me, give me you know, a hint here, some relief for chance, some redemption for the world of this trilogy? So, right. Book three is the least violent by quite a measure. Yeah, well, that's not saying anything. No, it's not. Book three is, uh, I think book three is a much, um, look, I think it's a happy ending. Okay. Which Fair is, uh, it, it is the first time I think that I can really overtly say I have written a happy ending, which I know, you know, a couple of other authors, uh, Nick Harkaway jokes that <laughs> I am the most miserable writer and such a happy person in real life. And, and, the fact that I haven't had a happy ending yet, really, and I haven't. Yeah, book three of this has got, a, I think, a really happy ending. I think book two has not got an unhappy ending. I agree. Um, There's hope. But I, yeah. There is hope, yeah. And book three actually is entirely about that. I wanted it to really be a drive towards sort of realising a hope and how you, how you move forward. You sort of look at, if you look at YA novels as a general as a general whole, they sort of all have that, that building's Roman coming-of-age structure. Right. And I think that, you know, you want to feel like a coming-of-age story is going to end with a sense that things are going to be okay. And, and that was really important to me. Um, so, yeah, book three, I think Chan has some nice times. Another character who I won't talk about who is in book two, in book three, I think is really funny. 
I think they are a really good comedy relief to some extent, which is <laughs> should be interesting when people read it and go, "Hang on, you think that's funny?" But uh, I think I think I think there's it's a lot lighter as a book, um, which was important to me. Yeah. Now you know, often with with three books and writers writing a trilogy, and this was a trilogy from the start, wasn't it? Uh, it was a trilogy from as soon as I worked out that book one was book one essentially was book yeah as as basically i i hit the end and i knew that the end wasn't the end um right. i wasn't entirely sure that it was a trilogy and not an ongoing series at the very beginning and then i actually as i worked through my editorial um with the magnificent Anne perry at hodder um i i was uh, we had the first editorial meeting and i was like actually no, this really is definitely a, a trilogy i want to tell this story about this person who's been displaced um and uh and I, I want to see that story through um and i think a trilogy is an interesting thing because you know generally speaking most people think of stories as being something that happens in three acts and each book has got those has got three parts in it each book has got three sort of quite defined acts and i think that you look at the trilogy as a whole, the trilogy is, you know, it's a, it's a wider three-act story. It's, it's like one of those, um, are they Matryoshka dolls, the Russian dolls? Yeah. It's, you know, it's three acts within, within three acts, within three acts, really. Um, which made sense to me as a, as a, lovely, uh, a lovely way of framing it all. Now tell me, writing, my question was going to be about uh, the trilogy, writing the middle book. A lot of people have the middle book, book syndrome. You, I don't think, do or did. I don't think this book flagged at any point in terms of pace, in terms of action, in terms of, you know, Thank you. stuff happening, because I like stuff happening. Um, don't we all like stuff happening? Come on. Let's, I love let's be stuff honest. happening. Right. Um, but how did you avoid that whole flagging middle book, you know, sa saggy bits, as shall we say? Um, I knew that I wanted to tell a definite story in book two yeah i agree with you a lot of book twos tend to have a have a they tend to feel like Fillers you're moving almost, from yeah, yeah you, you're getting them from what happens at the end of book one to the start of book three where you can tell the end of your story and actually realistically you could have done it in two right the really important thing to me so book one you've got this the, it's about the place right it's also about chan and it's also about rex but it's mostly about the place yeah Book two, I wanted to be far less about the place and far more about the after effects on Chan. So book two, I really wanted to grow her as a character because then book three, you sort of, I go right back to dealing with, with notions of place and identity. So book one is place, book two is identity, book three is place and identity and how the two mesh together. And have them all neatly wrapped up. Yeah, exactly. So I knew that I wanted to tell this, I mean... There's a, the middle section of book two is um, a very uh, it's quite different tonally I think to the to the rest of the series. Um, I really wanted to look at some of the things that are that had come up when I've been doing research for the machine actually, um, and I wanted to revisit those ideas in a completely different context. Um, and I knew that that was going to be the crux of the book. What, what was interesting to me in the, writing the book is that I thought that was going to be two-thirds of the book. And it ended up being, you know, less than a third, really. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it, 
it was all about making sure that I had a story for Chan. If I can push Chan from a specific situation where she's essentially had an awakening and had her eyes open to a truth, then you want to move her to a situation where she's entirely in control. Right. And that requires a huge, huge amount of narrative work to get her from place A to place B. Um, so it, it needed a story. You couldn't, I couldn't just sort of sit there and, and go, here's some set pieces and that's really cool. And now, now book three. Um, book two actually ended up being the longest of the trilogy as well by about 10,000 words. So it was, yeah. Speaking of the machine, I did feel yeah. at times during book two that the world of the machine almost seemed to like bleed into the world of, you know, of Earth, where Chan was right now. There were a lot of things I felt were similar in my head, the, the things that I had visualized about the place, you know, the machine was happening in, um, the waters rising, the walls, things yep. like that. They seemed to sort of connect with this. Now you've mentioned that you did some research while writing the machine that you felt, you know, worked for this. What was it? How did that work out? Was that intentional or did it just um, kind of flow together and you, you know, let it? It's totally intentional. It's because I am A, an idiot, and B, a massive <laughs> Stephen King fan. Right. I have, um, I, love, I love shared world stuff. I love the idea that everything you write could potentially take place in the same world. And the testimony can't. And I fully accept that, that of all my books, the testimony is the one that stands out there. Um, and honestly, I write myself into little holes where I'm like, the, as I go further on with the Explorer series, those books cannot take place in the same world either. But for the purposes of this, um, weirdly, yes, uh, the world of Way Down Dark is, is a future world of um, the machine and no harm in a sort of, it's almost like the, the comic book spin-off version, if that makes sense. It's like taking the same, the same world and someone's telling a story that's sort of just amped up a little bit and, and maybe tweaked some of the details. Um, but I've done a lot of work with the machine, a lot of research into climate change and a lot of research into um, to, to help remove post-trauma. I've done a lot of looking into that. And I knew that I had to I knew that I had to actively approach that material in a slightly different way so it didn't feel like a repeat of the machine. But I knew that there was more that I wanted to say. There's a lot of stuff to do with how we as human beings process memories and what they actually can do to us deep down that I think people actually don't talk about enough. I think we don't get into enough. Um, so I wanted to look at that quite a lot. Speaking of Stephen King, how are you feeling about The Dark Tower? <laughs> and what's so happening I, with it? And Idris Elba, everybody's talking about that one image that's been uh, released of him you know, in his uh, little sort of waistcoat and that outfit. I think Idris is going to be the perfect Roland. I, um, I'm going to choose my words very carefully. You're ambivalent about this, aren't you? <sighs> but the, oh, the overall thing, I mean, let's, let's keep it vague. I am, I am not necessarily keen on the approach that they seem to be taking with the story in that it, it doesn't seem that they're basically, from what I can tell, not actually filming the gunslinger. They're filming something that's taken place afterwards. And, and, I I suppose it's because I've lived with those books for quite a long time now and I can picture in my head what that film would be. Right. And as much as it's very easy for me to picture Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey in that film very, very easily, it isn't easy for me to picture the 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 framing story, the way that they seem to be setting this up, the uh the way that it seems to be working. Um I'm not as keen on. Um 
I'm I'm not a fan of changing or adapting something differently for the sake of doing it. When I think that have you you've read The Gunslinger, have you? Many many years ago, though, I was wondering whether I would uh, even remember enough to have sort of find fault with the film or have a, take a huge issue to it, which is why I haven't commented on it myself because it's if I don't remember the you know the details, then I shouldn't really yeah. have anything to say about it. Well, that. I think The Gunslinger is incredibly filmable. I think you could pretty much write it as a script, like, you know, transcribe it almost as a script, and it would just work as a film. Right. So I'm not sure why they've messed around with it. Um, but, you know, I, I am not privy to these things, and I will <laughs> go and see the film, and I, fingers crossed it's going to be really, really good, because I love those books so much, I will be devastated if it's not. I'll be devastated at the waste of Elba and McConaughey if it's not good. All right, now let's come back to your books. With each of the two Australia books, there's been this strong element of characters telling and creating and recreating or, or changing their stories, narratives that have been you know, created to tell certain truths or not yeah. truths, or lies presented as gospel, even narratives being retold, uh, remolded. You know, as with Long Dark Dusk, we have Chan telling the story of her life on Australia to an older man who very much wants to record this alternate secret version of history and explore it. Um, so you play a lot, you know, play around a lot with memories you've done in your other books, with characters creating and fighting destinies. The Machine, of course, is very much about what happens when you tamper with human memory, as you were mentioning earlier. Um, I use the word tamper loosely, of course, that's not, you know, they don't intend on, yeah, yeah. on, on, on having problems, but there you go. With Long Dark Dusk, we've got this entire generation of people born and raised on a spaceship, uh, essentially, whose minds have to come to grips with another world and new personalities. And I'm personally being, I'm, you know, being very vague about this to avoid spoilers because this is a whole generation of people who have to sort of figure out who they are in a new uh, way or have someone else help them figure out who they are. Tell me a little bit about this interest, this passion, this obsession with, with memory and with trying to, um, you know, figure out whether, you know, is there fate? Are we all well, so obliged? Yeah, I think that the, the, a lot of it comes down to storytelling, as you say. It, I realized when I was going through, I was, I'm doing the edits on book three at the moment, which is called Dark Made Dawn, and I just finished them, and I was going through the edits, and one of, one of the editorial points that came up was Anne, Anne had written in the margins, uh, you're really hammering this point home. In a negative sense, as in, you know, pull back a little bit. Right. And, and I started thinking, and I was looking at my books afterwards, and I was thinking, actually, it's really interesting to me that almost all of them, I think, are about storytelling in one form or other. Right. So the testimony is all about, actually, even if you go back to the, my, my very first novel, which I don't really talk about, um, which is very hard to find, but called Hereditation, that's about family stories. And then the testimony is this sort of people telling stories, telling the story of what happened. It's, it's like almost like talking heads, uh, video talking heads as a novel. And so there's not necessarily any direct truth in it, actually. Um, then the explorer is all recanted story and then being able to see a story from an external point of view. And the machine is eradication of a story in favor of a sort of new truth. No Harm is all about how essentially stories and the sort of predictive nature of stories and where you believe stories are going to go can completely destroy you. And then, yeah, as you say, you get to this storytelling in Way Down Dark and Long Dark Dusk. And actually, book three ups one aspect of the story concept even further. Um, and, and then I started going, what is my problem? Why am I, <laughs> why am I so stuck on this idea of storytelling? And the thing that I'm writing at the moment 
it's fascinating to me because the the next adult novel that I'm writing is in its own way completely also about telling of stories and and apparently that's something that I am completely obsessed with and I didn't understand it I didn't realize that it was a thing until until uh yesterday actually and it's it's just fascinating to me how much our memories don't work with our with the stories that we tell about our lives. This is what I've really pinned down as being the important part to me, is that we never tell people the actual things that have occurred to us, right? We tell them the, the three or four things that we remember as being key to certain aspects of our life, right? So right. the really big things, which actually weren't the big things at all, because the big things happen on a completely micro scale. The big things happen when you're sitting watching TV and someone says, shall we do this thing? And you say yes. And it's thinking about the ramifications of that. And which is actually what the next book is about, really, is about the sort of the, the macro and micro scale of, of memory. Um, and, and I've just, I apparently can't shake it. It's when I realize, you know, I start thinking back on the other books that I've loved, not my books, but books that I've read that I've loved, and how completely obsessed I am with storytelling as a general concept. Right. Um, so, yeah, I just, I just can't seem to shift it. So everything's had this, this meshing of memory and the difference between memory and storytelling, which I really, I summed up a bit in The Machine, and I said, there's that thing, you know, we take photographs and photographs are intrinsically lies. Um, almost every photograph that's ever existed of you, of me, of anybody, particularly in this sort of social media age, is a complete lie. Um, like, even when you get beyond, like, find good angle and all that nonsense, you get to just the very concept of smiling in a photograph. And you look through photographs, and if you're honest with yourself and you ask yourself, were you really that happy at that moment in time? This is where I get my reputation as being depressive, by the way. <laughs> were you really that happy at that moment in time? 90% of the time, it's, you probably weren't, right? You were probably going, do you know what? I'm out and I'm drinking and, or and I'm, I'm having a nice yeah. time. And, and I'm, you know, my feet are tired and my back's hurting and I wish I was at home because really there's something excellent on television. <sighs> And someone says, say cheese, and you go, cool, yeah. arms around friends, hi. And that's the photo that everyone chooses to remember. And I'm obsessed with, like, reaching the truth about what we remember, um, which is, again, really, really pretentious, but that's what I would, <laughs> that's what I like to explore. Well, it's not pretentious if you, you know, if, if you know it's pretentious, then it's not. Um, then, then it's okay, then yeah. It's not, yeah. As we were, as you were saying earlier, the third book is is least violent, or so you promise. Um, yep. But not holding back on violence, of course, even now with the second book, or even otherwise. And like I said, it doesn't have to be physical violence. Um, but how do you feel about trigger warnings on books for young adults and adults both? Because there has been some conversation about this recently. There has been. It's a really tricky thing. Okay, everybody's got triggers about something. And I do believe that. And I'm not saying that some things aren't significantly worse than others. But I think that if you worry about, like with this book, for example, with Way Down Dark particularly, um, at the very, very start of the book, the very first line of the book, pretty much, is Chan talking about how she helped kill her mother. And her mother has cancer in the novel and is killed as a sort of power ritual, really. And I thought about 
when we were sort of going through the process of publication, do you, do you actually think about trigger warnings? Do you say, you know, because potentially people who have read this book are going to read it and have been in a position where their parents have passed away from this same illness? Or as you get later on, there's a, a large amount of violence. I mean, there's no sexual violence in the book, although, you know, you have to question how much any violence that takes place between where a man is hitting a woman doesn't feature some, some level of sexual violence to it. Sure. There is no overt sexual violence, shall we say. But still, all the violence can be hugely triggering. Um, my hope was that we don't shy away in the copy from the fact that it's violent. So in the, on the book, it, it describes it as a violent book. I think the cover suggests sort of tension and violence. The genre probably suggests that. And I was very... I actually thought, do you know what? I'm just going to front load the information. One of the reasons that it's right there at the start of the book about Chan's mum is because if I front loaded it, then people knew what they were getting. And I didn't want to have to say to people, contains this and this and this and this and this. Because I think... I... We've all been through stuff, right? And I've been through stuff that I don't like thinking about. And yet some of the things that have helped me most in life have been reading books that have surprised me when they suddenly unveil that thing that I don't want to think about. And I think that if you deal with anything tactfully, it, it's an important thing that you can deal with it. Where I think, you know, perhaps trigger warnings are necessary are some writers still have that problem of using sexual violence as like a tool, right. as a way of moving narrative or character forward. And I'll just quite happily say at this point, there is nothing shittier than a writer thinking that it's somehow okay to use sexual violence as a way of giving a character depth or character development. It is crass and unpleasant and you can tell that these people haven't thought about what the actual implications are of what they're doing. But I still think that it's important, you know, some people would say, well, you shouldn't write about that full stop. Right. I think that's nonsense. I think if you look at something like, like Louise O'Neill's Asking For It, for example, yeah. it's an important book. And actually, I'm not entirely sure. I'd have to go and look at my copy and check. I don't think that's got trigger warnings on it. I think it just says, this is what the book is about. Yeah, which is enough of a trigger warning, really. It is, it, it is, and it should be. And I think that maybe that's it. Maybe we need to get better at copy, particularly on YA novels. We need to right. get better at just saying, look, here's what the book is. Because I think that as soon as you start saying, you know, contain scenes of mild sexual terror... I feel like you're rating the books. I feel like you're somehow assigning them like an arbitrary age rating. And, you know, I, somebody tweeted the other day about Way Down Dark. It's incredibly violent. I'm not sure if, you know, it's, it's suitable for a young adult audience. To which I say, well, you know, I was 13 and reading Pet Cemetery. I'm fairly certain. Yeah. And The Shining at the stand. I'm fairly certain that it's okay. Because I don't think it's ever that bad. I sort of, I tried to push it as much as I could into a schlockier, again, comic book violence. I don't think, apart from the pit in Way Down Dark, they never really describe blood. Nobody ever, there's, there's a couple of times where it's described on a, on a knife, but it's, you know, it's not gratuitous. Sure. Um, or at least I, I yeah. hope it's not ridiculously gratuitous. I don't think it is, um, because, you know, there's a lot of talk, and I, and I know there's violence in this book, but if you ask me, and I've read both of them, and I've read them well, and if you ask me, 
to specify which scenes I couldn't necessarily point out to you. Oh, there was that one particular scene where you described X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? Um, no, no, it's an, it's absolutely. It's an overwhelming, um, not overwhelming, but it's like an it's an overall kind of at times overwhelming uh, feeling of fear. But that's part of the ambience of the book. That's that's part of yeah. being involved in that narrative, being involved in that world is feeling that fear. There's a death in there are uh, there are lots of deaths in Long sure. Dark Dusk, but there is a death in Long Dark Dusk, um, which is more of an accident, and and it's completely it's almost completely non-violent the actual death itself, and I wanted it to have much more of an impact than say the the many many deaths that occur towards the end of the book. I, you know, they, they are comic book violence, and some violence is real violence, and I think it's important that the real violence is treated appropriately, and that the comic book violence, you know, it didn't hurt anybody to watch the Blade films where people explode in showers of blood. Right, right. Many, many dozens of people in one go. Many, many dozens of people. And actually, you look at Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I still maintain is sort of the trigger point for most of modern young adult uh, fiction. Um, you look at something like Buffy, and there's still a large amount of blood in it. Just because yeah. people don't die, the vampires turn into, you know, puffs dust. of dust, essentially. Yeah. But there's still loads of blood in that TV series. Yeah. And, and I'd argue that the most important parts of violence are the ones where it feels like it has heft. I am particularly talking of where Buffy, of course, uh, has to kill Angel, which is a weighty moment of violence, right? And yeah. it doesn't feel trite, but it doesn't matter when she then stakes a vampire who has been wherever, you know, it's it, important. And there is obviously in Buffy a much, a much bigger moment of death, which is treated uh, with respect. I think it's just about respect. Really, that's a very long way of saying it's about <laughs> respect. Now, you've got another book in this trilogy, and I know you're always yep. working on something else because, you know, if, if not in your head, then on paper, I know you, you just, there is always something else. But I'm wondering... Did you enjoy writing young adult fiction enough to stick with it? I mean, is this what you will do now? Uh, it, it is not what I will do now in a sort of long-term sense. It is something I will go back to. Um, I, I'm not sure I'll ever do a trilogy again. Have you had enough of those? I have had enough of series. <laughs> I... Uh, they ca series carry a whole load of baggage beyond the book themselves. They carry publishing baggage, which I don't particularly like. I quite like the idea of everything being dealt with on its own terms, not on the terms of what the one before it did. Right. Um, and uh, it was important to me that, wait, you know, I don't think I could have told Chan's story. I well, I couldn't have told Chan's story in one book because of the end of book one. Um, the end of book one could have been completely different and maybe it would have been satisfying, but I genuinely don't think it would have been. So it was important to me that that worked as a trilogy. Um, I've got an idea for another young adult thing, um, which I'm, <laughs> which I'm planning on writing in two books time. Um, at the moment in my current schedule, that's like my, oh, you're going to write this in the second half of 2017. Right. Like I said, um, you're always working on something else. Yeah. Um, until then, I've got, I've got two adult books that I want to write before that. Um, one of which I'm about halfway through, and I've been writing, I've been writing for about the last two, 18 months now, um, on and off. 
um, which I'm really happy with so far, and it's about artificial intelligence. Oh, we talked about this last time, I think. Yeah, we did. We talked yeah. about this last time. God, well, that tells you, doesn't it? Um, well, you've had uh, other stuff going on like this. I have, yeah. So I've got this artificial intelligence one still bubbling away, um, which, I'm, uh, yeah, I think, I think could be really cool um, because I'm, I'm hopeful that it does something that hasn't... I don't think, any, I don't think there's ever been an AI book written like it or story, and, and, and that sounds... Pretentious? I, it sounds pretentious. <laughs> And I'm sure I'm completely wrong. Someone will be like, actually, I think you'll find it's exactly like this book published last Someone year. Someone on Twitter will let you know, I'm sure. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, it's, it's incredibly human. Um, and it's, it's probably the least dark thing I've ever written. Which is, no, it is, in fact. I can hand on heart say it is the least dark thing I have ever written. Well, that's no question exciting. in my mind. Which is fascinating to me yeah. because it's just coming out and that's... Um, and then I've got another book I want to write about that after that, sorry, which has been, oh, I must have bored you with in the past and has been, has been bubbling away now for, I think, six years ago was the first time I wrote a file for it on my computer. Um, and I'm finally going to write that beginning of next year. Um, so after those two, I'm going to go back to YA. Um, I've got a very, I'll happily say it's not sci-fi, um, but it's also not contemporary, so you can... <laughs> You can work out what that one is. It's fantasy. So oh, there you go. It's fan. We whisper that. We don't say fantasy out loud. I've never. I've never written fantasy. Um, I've never written anything. Do you know what? I'll just tell you because it's fine. Um, Are there dragons? Yes. Oh wow! No so, wait, You're going to do dragons? Are they just going to be the most miserable dragons ever? No, they're going to be awesome. Than so, other? Oh, they're going to be awesome. Okay. So last year at, at Nine Worlds, which is a convention um, in London, um, I was on a panel talking about uh, what were we talking about? I can't even remember what the panel was about. I was talking about the fact that I was talking about the fact that every book was uh, essentially a crime fiction narrative that every book really uses crime fiction structure. That they all use the concept of the sort of the detective and the, the, the thing that has to be uncovered. <clears throat> and um, that's like the most basic structure of a text. And somebody said, oh, like, the question said, there aren't many, there are many fantasy novels that uh, are detective novels. And I said, no, I really should write, and this is my masterpiece. This is the, the best thing I've ever come up with. Someone really should write Dragatha Christie. Dragon Which is Christie. Agatha Christie novels with dragons. Right. And so I've got this YA idea about... Um, <laughs> so ridiculous. Essentially about a detective um, in a world that's proper high fantasy. Okay. And I've got a really cool idea for how you do that world and what they are detecting. And it would be... Uh, I think it would be two parts. Um... And uh, so I've got that idea. Um, now I've just got to, you know, try and find someone who wants to pay me to write it. So hang on. What I want to know is detectives in a high fantasy world, are they still called detectives? Is there like a special word for them? Because, you know, language changes too in high that fantasy is a, worlds. That is an interesting question. Um, I have not contemplated that. Yes, they would have a different word for it. Yeah. They would not be called detectives. Um and they're not also detectives. They're not like police detectives. It's sure. more somebody doing detective, doing a detective story narrative. Exactly. Uh, so I mean, you you call them detectives when we speak about them, but what would they call themselves? Bob. I don't. Uh, yeah. 
Bob, um, solid fancy name there. I can't wait to read this. Yeah, I well, that's one of the things is that I, you know, when I was a kid, I read a lot of fantasy. Um, I read a lot. I was obsessed when I was younger with like really young now with like Piers Anthony. I read right. a lot of fantasy. Um, now I I don't actually read that much anymore. And you know, beyond your sort of Game of Thrones and your, your Joe Abercrombies, I'm really sort of out of the genre. And um, I'm going to. Um, I think I'm going to kind of stick with that. I quite like the idea of of attempting to distance myself as much as possible from what people are doing and trying to write something that feels very weird and distinctive and cozy. Hmm. Um, so, but we'll see. Um, it might, you know, that might be, there's a lot of things in the file of things I've never gotten around to writing, so that might just stay there as my Dragatha Christie unwritten masterpiece. Oh, I was just beginning to look forward to it. Yeah, I know. The worst thing about it is, of course, that in the book and the title, at no point can Dragatha Christie, it's not a thing that can actually come up, which is really irritating to me. Right. Because <laughs> it's like I need to write an Adam, an Adam Roberts-style uh, pastiche novel. Um, you know, he's written those, Adam Roberts has written these, like, essentially pun-based yeah. novels based on Tolkien and, and yeah, yeah. Uh, Harry Potter and so forth. I need to write one of those, but I'm not nearly as funny as he is. All right, well, now that we know what you're up to next, uh, I hope we'll speak again when that happens. Yeah, I hope so too. That'd be lovely.